Today's Sunday sermon has been made possible by the members of Southside Christian Fellowship Church and listeners like you. Thank you so much for your continued prayerful and financial support of this ministry. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and how to get involved, or simply want to give a gift, please just go to our website at southsidechristianfellowship.net today. I'll start off by telling you about when I started growing up. Um, I had a major, major learning disability. Uh, Back then, they just called you dumb, but later I found out it was ADHD. I had a hard time focusing. So when I would look at a page, I would see the whole page. I couldn't focus on one sentence. So the kids made a lot of fun of me. You know, and they razz you and call you dumbbell. And I didn't have a quick wit. So when the kids, and I don't know if a lot of you guys might remember when you were younger, kids can be pretty vicious. And, um, you know, they would throw a shot at me and I would try to come back and I would say something even more stupid. So, you know, it was not a good experience for me going through grade school and high school. I always wondered that the kids that had all A's, why couldn't I get A's? Why? Why Why was every year that I went to school, I had to go to summer school? And if it wasn't for my mom, I'd have never gotten out of high school. I'd have never graduated. I got all D's and F's. If I came home with a C, we had a big party because that was not, that was very unusual. So during those times, you know, um, my father was a very tough, tough guy. He was a golden glove boxer and he thought that he had to be tough on his sons so that they would grow up strong. But I wasn't that kind of guy. So my father too would call me dumb and it hurt. And all of a sudden, from all the kids razzing you, everybody calling you dumb, there becomes this big hole in your heart, something that you want to fill to take the pain away. Well, I grew up, and I was going to show the whole world how smart I really am. And when I met Patsy in 1985, we got married in 86, and we started our own business. And we grew it, and we grew it. In 1993, we were doing over 25 million, which would be equivalent to about 75 million today. But but I didn't do it the way God wanted me to do it. I did it the wrong way. I was bribing CEOs from publicly traded companies to get the business. I was also going out with women of the night and and bringing my clients to places that I should have never brought them to. And I got to tell you that like Paul knocked, when God knocked Paul off the horse, he knocked me off the horse. I got caught. I got caught bribing. I got written up in the, in the Wall Street Journal saying they were going to come after me for the RICO Act. I was scared. IRS comes in. They want to know where, where all this money go. Where all, where's this money? Where, where is it? And I, and I would just play dumb. I don't know. I'd lie. I lied through my teeth. I didn't want to get arrested. I didn't want to go to jail. Well, after the IRS got done with me, and no other company that was publicly traded would, would work with me, because now I, I, was, I was a leopard, we ended up losing the business. And during all that pressure that I was under, 
I ended up in the funny farm. And it was, it was a very, very humble experience for them to take your shoelaces and your belt and, you know, we had, you were under watch. They had me under suicide watch. Well, I started to do these um, like group therapy inside the center. And it was my turn to talk. And I started telling them, well, you know, I lost my Corvette. I'm losing my house. I'm losing my properties. And this guy says, wait a minute. He goes, all you've lost is material things. We have lost our minds. And I'm going to tell you, it woke me up. It sobered me. I couldn't believe it. He's exactly right. My mind is still intact. And these poor people are suffering. So I began to help them. And I began to encourage them, not realizing that God had more plans for me. So eventually I get out, and uh, I meet this guy named Steve. He's an associate pastor. And he says, why don't you start coming to Bible study classes with me? And, you know, I was raised as a Catholic, and Catholics don't read the Bible. And I'm just going to tell you, I don't know if they do now, but back then they didn't. But I said, well, you know, okay, but, you know, I still have this learning disability. But when I went, the beauty of it was that I didn't have to read it. Somebody else was reading it. And then we got to dissect it. So then the, the verbal part I get, the visual part, if I see something, I, I, I can absorb it. Or if I hear something, I can absorb it. And I started to realize what a God we serve. What a God we serve. And my life changed. I was saved. When I became saved, it was like whew, nothing like I've ever experienced before. The first thing God tells me to do is to call all the people I had done wrong to and apologize. Well, that wasn't that hard to do. I did that. But then he asked me to tell my wife about my infidelity. And I did not want to do that. I did not want to do that. But eventually I did. And when I told Patsy... She looked at me and she said, I already knew. And that hurt me so deeply that I would do that. Anyways, Patsy and I, you know, it, it took time. It wasn't easy. You know, it took time. Our marriage got rocky. But we, we, we got through the storm. And we built another business. And in three and a half years, Patsy and I became millionaires again. But this time... We did it God's way. And, you know, sometimes we think, well, once we're with God, you know, that's it. We don't have to worry. Well, we always, we always have to be on guard. Well, in 2006, in January, Patsy comes down with this vicious virus. It literally eats your brain. And I was wanted to believe that Patsy was going to be healed. In fact, when I moved to Georgia, one of the first things I heard when I moved here, if you ask for a miracle, expect it. So I said, okay, 
Lord, I'm going to expect it. But you know what? I'm telling people that she's going to be healed, and I don't believe one word of it. I wanted to, but I didn't. I couldn't. And I was crying out to the Lord and asking him to give me the grace so that I could believe. Because without his grace, there is no belief. And when I was landing, I had to go. Patsy was in a coma in, in Raleigh, and I had to fly home for business for the day and fly back. My friend was picking me up at the airport. He was by the curb. I come out. I open the back door. I put my luggage in as I'm about to close the door. I hear this voice. It says, Ron, this is not about you. This is about me. And your wife will be healed. And I opened the door, and I looked inside the car, and I said, Dave, what did you say? He said, I didn't say anything, Ronnie. I go, Dave, what did you say? He says, Ronnie, I didn't say anything. Get in the car. So I get in the car, and I realized it was God. And I'm quiet, sitting there as he's driving. And he looks over at me, and he says, uh, what's wrong? Oh, I said, nothing's wrong. I said, everything's right. I said, God just told me he's going to heal Patsy. And he looked at me and he said, did he give you the lottery numbers for tonight too? <laughs> you know, it, it, it was, it was, um, it, it was unbelievable. The voice was so majestic. It was so unbelievable. I mean, I can't even explain it. I, can't, I, I wish I could, but I can't. But anyways, um, I get back to Duke Hospital, and Patsy's sister's there, and she's crying. She's thinking, Patsy's already gone, because the doctor said as soon as I get back to get a hold of him. And, and as I walked in and I looked at her, and I hugged her and I said, it's going to be okay. God's going to heal her. And she said, no, she's not. And I said, yes, she is. She said, well, the doctor wants to see you. So I said, okay. So I see, you know, the waiting room's there, and then they have a locked door, and they open the door, and they let me in, and I'm walking down, and I can see the doctor. And on his, on his, on his badge, it says Dr. Silverstein. So I know he's Jewish. And he, I walk up to him, and he goes, Mr. Tripoto, he goes, I need your permission to drill a hole in the top of your wife's head so that we can relieve the pressure and also monitor her brain activity. And I said, okay, doc, that'll be fine, but will you pray with me? And he said, okay. So the nurse was right next to him. I grabbed the nurse's hand, I grabbed his hand, and I asked the Lord to give him the wisdom the eye and hand coordination to be able to do this procedure correctly. And then I said, in Jesus' name. And when I said Jesus, he squeezed my hand. And I'm telling you, oof, that was unbelievable. I just wonder if that man didn't come to Christ. I guess sometimes we sow seeds that we never know. So anyways, you know, Patsy's, Patsy's in tough shape. So as I, I, walk, I walk back into the ICU room, and as I'm walking in, 
the car dealership calls me and says, hey, Ron, you know, the new, the new models are coming in this year, and they're fantastic. And I'm about to say to him, well, this is not a good time. But then I heard God's voice say, your wife's going to be healed. And I said to him, what colors? Do you have midnight blue uh, outside and then beige tan inside? And he goes, yeah. I says, order it. So he says, well, you know, Ron, you know, you're a great customer. We, we got to put a deposit. So as I'm pulling out my credit cards, all my family and friends are there. And they're watching me buy a car for my wife. Now, they're telling me I'm crazy. My daughter comes up to me. Oh, please, don't do this, Dad. You're setting yourself up. Blah, 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 blah. And it's like, listen, you understand something. God talked to me. God spoke to me. He's going, she's going to be healed. Okay? And faith without action is what? Dead. We got to walk it. And I did. And I ordered the car that day. And the thing he says to me, I go, so I said to him, I said, when will it be in? And he said, oh, sometime in September. I said, well, good. I got plenty of time for her to get back healed. You know, one, one thing that goes through my mind as I start to tell you this story is that God, or Jesus in this case, he could have did what he did to Lazarus and say, come out. He could have done it like that. But he didn't. Because he wanted this story to be told, to let people know to persevere and to trust them. I have no doubt about that. And when he said to me, this is about me, I get it now. I understand it. Back then, I didn't. I understood that when, when, he, when he said to me, Ron, this is not about you, I knew what he was talking about. I knew because I was so worried, what kind of life would I have if I have an invalid for a wife? He knew my thoughts because I never spoke that. He knows our thoughts. So I said, well, great. I said, She'll be there to drive it. Well, Patsy comes out of the coma, gets paralysis. She had C. diff. She had a blood clot. She had so many things going on. In fact, by, when I had to go back to Atlanta, um, my daughter called me, just hysterical. And she couldn't even get her words out. And, and finally, you know, she got some composure, and she said, I said, what's wrong, Julie? And she goes, Dad, they want you, they want to, the hospital wants to know if you want to do... Um, um, DNR. And, and I said, what's, what's DNR? And she, she busts out crying. She goes, do not resuscitate. And I told them, you tell them to resuscitate her. And so Patsy, as you heard in the video, the physical part, Patsy was healed, but not the mental. Patsy went to Shepherd, and she did get out of Shepherd. Then she went to what we call Shepherd's Pathway which is an outpatient. But Patsy was a two-year-old. I don't, you know, and it was very difficult for me having a wife that's a two-year-old because I didn't know how to deal with things. But everybody else is, is concerned that she'll never come out of that. Well, when, when that first started, when, well, really, really started when um, Patsy came to Shepherd. The first thing she was able to do, they told me that she'll never be able to swallow again. She, everything's going to have to be done by a feeding tube. And, and the nurse told me that when, before, before we left Duke, they had to put a permanent feeding tube. And she goes, oh, this, this tube is state of the art. It'll last for years. And I said, ma'am, it ain't going to be years. It's only going to be months. Well, I was wrong. 
It was only days. When Patsy got, when Patsy got the Shepherd Clinic, the doctor got a cook, uh, cracker out of his jacket, and I tell the story in great detail in the book, but she ate it, I went crazy. I mean, I was like jumping up and down. And that's when I decided to put up billboards to give Jesus thanks before she was out of the woods. Everybody thought I was crazy. I go to my, I go to my pastor, associate pastor, and I, I said, Don, I want to thank Jesus for what he's done and what he's going to do. And he said to me, why don't you just wait till she's healed? And I told him, I told him, faith without action is dead. And he looked at me and he said, if that's what you feel, then you go ahead and do it. Well, they thought I was nuts. They, they, I'm telling you, they, they thought I was so crazy that I was going to end up in, in the loony bin again. And um, I did. I started putting up billboards. And I started doubling down. I put up more. I ended up putting a total of nine up. And uh, I had them all mostly in Atlanta, some down a little south of Atlanta. But I was determined to let people know about God and faith and trust them. So anyways, it comes around, um, um, it's coming close to September. Patsy's not ready to drive. In the state of Georgia, anytime you have a brain injury, you have to be retested before you can drive. And the race was on, but we were lagging behind. Patsy was just starting to come out of her two-year-old stage, and the lights were starting to turn on, but she wasn't ready. And I'm in my office, and I'm asking, and I see, I got the date circled on my calendar, and I'm asking God, what am I doing, Lord? What am I going to do? She's not going to be ready. And I thought to myself, okay, I, I know what I'll do. I'll just buy the car, and nobody, nobody drives that home but Patsy. Well, anyways, about a week before the car is to come in, I get a call from the dealership. He goes, oh, Ron, I, I got to tell you, I'm so sorry. He goes, but the car is going to be delayed until Christmas. And I said, really? And I'm jumping up and down. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> and he, he didn't know why I was so excited. He goes, geez, most of my customers were really disappointed. I said, well, let me tell you. And I shared with him the story. So now Patsy's about to learn to drive. And that was quite, quite a task. And you have to understand something. Prior to Patsy getting sick, she was not a very good driver. She had like four accidents, okay, and she would tailgate. So I'm originally from Cleveland, so when we would drive up to Ohio, I'm biting my nails. I go, you know, Patsy, why don't you just let me drive? I'm, it's fine, you know? So Patsy starts to drive, and I got to tell you something. It was a little tough at first. She starts to become a better driver than she was. I'm not kidding you. And she, she, in, uh, there's another uh, video from ABC, and she actually talks about, I'm a better driver now than I was before I got sick. And God, God did a little bonus for us. So, you know, so <clears throat> we get to the point where Patsy is ready 
to take her driver's test. It's December 21st, 2006. And Linda, who spent a whole year with us, and that's another story within itself because Linda was married at the time to Patsy's ex-husband. But what a, what a godly woman. And she stayed with us. She was from Houston. And she stayed with us. And she helped Patsy relearn. They were doing, not only was she going to school, they were putting all her grandchildren's faces. They were teaching her current events. They had to take her to show her how to use the ATM. And she says to Linda, so Linda says, so you put this in here and money comes out. She goes, I can get that anytime. Well, as long as you got money in the bank, you can. <laughs> and so Linda and I were there and we're watching Patsy take her test. And we're holding each other, and we're just, you know, and all of a sudden, you know, I could see she was getting through it, and that she'd passed it. So Linda, it was time for Linda to go home that day. It was bittersweet. But we, we drop her off at the airport. We leave the airport, and guess what? I get a call from the dealer. He says to me, the Lord's timing is perfect. Perfect. He says to me, you're not going to believe it, but they're unloading the car right now. And I said, oh, I can believe it. And I kept it a surprise for Patsy. So anyways, I'm trying to talk in, you know, in, in code. And I go, oh, it's just, it, was, it was unbelievable. He goes, but it'll be ready. You can pick it up in two days. And Patsy did pick it up, and Patsy did drive it home. Amen. So... <clears throat> So you would think at this point, it's all done. You know, hey, it's great. You know, you drive off into the sunset like, the, like I have when I wrote the screenplay, which well, this will be coming a movie, by the way. So, but you would think, oh, everything's cool. Well, God was not done. When he said, this is about me, okay, he was not done. So anyways, I started spending more time with Patsy. And I didn't keep my eye on the business. And we were losing money. And on top of that, in 2008, the market crashed. And Patsy and I lost literally over the night 70% of our net worth. We definitely are not good at, the, at picking stocks. But, but I can tell you that it was a time that I was really prepared for and not prepared for. I, um, I went back into work and I, f I, I started to see that we, we, they were kind of covering it up and not letting me know about the losses. The next thing I have, I have when, you take, when you borrow money from a bank, you have to give them audited statements. And I, I had a, a loan for $3 million. Well, they realized that I was losing money and 70% and of my assets were already gone. And they called my loan. And they said, you got six months to find a new bank. Well, I meet this guy, and this is how God works. I meet this guy named Jim Shalinsky, who, who introduced me to Jeffrey. Where are you, Jeffrey? Where? I don't see him. Oh, okay, that's all right. Well, he, he, I, he introduces me to Jeffrey, and that's why I'm here. And that's how God works. It's just unbelievable. Well, Jimmy comes, and, and finds me a bank. And there's a reason I'm saying this, because it's not me. It's God. And I want to honor God. He said, Ronnie, I, I got a, a bank that'll take the loan. He goes, but they want to give SunTrust a haircut. And um, 
I said, I can't do that. I says, I owe the money. I, I got to pay it. And I ended up getting in bed with these two partners that were thieves. They were very wealthy. And they were, all they wanted to do was take my company and pick it apart and sell it. But Romans 8.28, all things come to the good and the glory when you love them, when you love him. And it was tough. They, uh, they, wanted to, they wanted me to default on my buildings, and then they would come around and buy them on 25% cents on the dollar and make me a partner. I said, I can't do that. That's dishonest and it's wrong, and I won't do that. The next day they fired me, and they wouldn't honor my stock or my employee package. They were trying to keep me without money so they can beat me. And anybody that has ever gone to civil court, it's a rich man's game. I mean, I'm going to tell you right now, the deeper the pockets, the guy's going to win. And they did. They just kept doing, kept me in court and court. And finally, the last bit of money we had, we used up in fighting. And we settled for barely nothing. And what we settled for, we owed and we paid the people that we owed. And I started to, um, well, you know, I, got, I had a really good name in the industry. Uh, I was in the wireless. I built a lot of the infrastructure in the southeast. We worked with AT&T and Verizon and back then Nextel and T-Mobile and all the rest of them. So I immediately, I got hired and go down to Florida and, and be the, um, the GM for the state. And I did. And what happened was the, one of the vice presidents was stealing and he was putting all the uh, materials on, on, my, on my budget, I, and I caught him. And we had some words, and I ended up getting fired. <laughs> and Patsy and I were in Florida, and we barely got down there, okay? And we had to sell all our furniture off just to come back up. But what happened is I then, another company calls me and says, we want you to... Um, we want you to build us, they, they were in the hard wire, okay? They were more in the fiber. They wanted to build a wireless division. So, okay, I get started, and I, I should have known better because of the way they were negotiating, but I really did well for them. And within a year, they got all their money back, plus we, we were making money. And they were getting ready to let me go. They just wanted me to get the Verizon account. And um, anyways, we had words, and they let me go. I go, wow, Lord, what's, what's going on? Why can't I keep a job? What's going on here? So then I meet this Christian guy, and you're going to love this story. And we become partners, and um, he's, I, we start to do well, and he sees that now that we're doing well, he doesn't need me. And we had a conflict because he, didn't, you know, he wanted to lessen the employee packages, and I said, you're not doing that. Okay, we made a deal with these guys, and we're going to do this, and we're going to be fine. Well, anyways, I don't hear from him for two weeks. I hear from him. He goes, well, you know, Ron, I've been fasting and praying, and God wants me to buy you out. He wants you to buy me out, huh? Really? And at the time, I just thought it was, it was a lie, but now I'm not so sure, because God can do anything. And I... I said, okay, and I, I mean, I, I, I didn't get it, make, make nothing out of it, but I got out of it. I didn't want to fight no more. And God was putting on my heart, you got to write a book. 
And I go, me write a book, Lord? Are you kidding me? Me write a book? A guy that hadn't even read a book in 40 years <laughs> gets all Ds and Fs in school, and if it wasn't for his mom, he would have never got out of school. And God says, you're going to write this book. He's putting it on my heart. And he had done a little bit of that after Patsy recovered. And I talked, I, I talked to a couple of people about writing the book. But he wanted me to write it. He didn't want anybody else. And I go, Lord, I, in fact, in, in the preface of the book, I said, me write a book, Lord? you got to be kidding me. And he put it on me. And he put it on me. And he put it on me. And finally, one of the teachers that um, helped Patsy learn, uh, I called her and I said, would you help me? And you know, she already knew I had ADHD. But she goes, okay, you know. So she writes at the end of the book that she was pulling, the first four chapters, she was pulling her hair out. Now, I want to tell you something. God says, do something. He doesn't automatically just give you everything you need. He wants you to learn it. He wants you to know it. He wants you to work hard for it. Because if you don't, it doesn't mean anything. So I end up taking a crash course in English and punctuation. And we get off to the races. In fact, Patsy actually writes at the end of the book as well. Patsy, every night when I would write, she would go and print it off and read it. Because she knew nothing. Because she don't remember any of it. So here, hey, how do you articulate all that went on, okay, you know, in just a, com in a conversation? And she's, you know, she's crying and, you know, she's going, oh, my God, I didn't know you went through all this. And, but anyways, this was a time that I'm thinking, okay, Lord, I'm going to do it. And eventually, I did get it. When I got to the fifth chapter, if you, if, you, if you read my book, you'll see by the fifth chapter, it gets even better. I was becoming a writer. And all, I guess I say, all things are possible and God's in it. Sometimes we don't know that we have the talent that we do. It's there. And it's ready to be tapped into. But yet, you don't believe you can do it. And I'm here to tell you that anybody in this room today that doesn't think they can do something that God's asked them to do, they are wrong. God, when he asks you to do something, you follow through, you be obedient, and you work hard at it. So I finished the book, and I, ended, I have a good friend, Michael Howell, who works for the Movie Guide. Movie Guide is a Christian organization that tries to work with Hollywood to make better family movies. So Michael knows this guy named Kerry Solomon. Now, Kerry Solomon was Jewish, and he became a Christian. And he wrote, the, he wrote uh, God is not dead one, God is not dead two, unplanned, do you believe, what if, these are all part of his pictures. Yes, so I sent Kerry my book and said, Kerry, do you think you can write a screenplay? Now remember, God said, this is about me, and you're going to write this. And I'm, at this point, I'm thinking, I'm not going to write a screenplay. I don't have to worry about that. So he reads the book, and he says, Ron, it's a great book. He said, but I wouldn't know how to write it. I'm going, this guy's a writer. He's going to tell me he doesn't know how. Six months later, I meet the guy in Hollywood. And after I met him, he came up to me and goes, I want to tell you something, Ron. God wants you to write this screenplay. I, I'm like, whoa. I go, you got to be kidding me. And I didn't believe him. I didn't believe him. I just thought maybe he was trying to make me feel good or something. I don't know, but I didn't believe him. So I go home and I'm pondering, and for six months I'm pondering on this. And I meet with Michael Hall and I go, Michael, I want to I write another book, and it's called Free Will Equals Choice. 
I said, but I know God wants me to do this screenplay, but I don't know how to do it. Now, you got to understand something. Writing a book is like driving a car. Writing a screenplay is like flying a jet. I'm just telling you, because when you write a book, words are powerful. But when you write a screenplay, you only have about 110 pages to get the whole story out. So a lot of it has to be visual. So you've got to take that mind of being a book writer to a screenwriter, and that, that's why they separate, and that's why there's authors, and that's why there's screenwriters, and God wants me to do both. And again, I called Muriel, and by the way, Muriel, the teacher, she's an atheist. Now, Patsy and I work on her all the time, but I said, I'm gonna need you again. So we get this book, how to, how to Write a Screenplay for Dummies. And she starts, she starts to read it to me. As I'm reading it, she's reading it to me so I can absorb it. It took me two and a half years to write it. Now, I want to tell you something, and this is not me, it's God. When I, I entered it in the movie guides contest called the Kairos Prize about a, year, a little over a year ago, and I wasn't done. And I, I was a finalist. I was, I was a finalist. So... You know, I knew I'm hunting something here good. So I've now, since then, in June, I think it was June 10th, I completed it. And, you know, I, I want to share this with you because I want, there's people in here that are going to be able to relate what I'm about to tell you. While all this was going on, we were renting a house. And the, the, the landlord called and said, you know, I know you got another year, but my family, you know, you want to move in, would you mind moving? So Patsy and I, I said, well, let me think about it. Patsy and I, we cry out to the Lord. You got, you got to, how God works. We cry out that we have like $2,800 in our savings. And we cry out, Lord, why can't we have a house? A week later, I get a call from a real estate lady. She goes, well, you're not going to believe We got a ranch over here, and you can get it in for less than $2,800 with no PMI. Now, that's unheard of. You know, that's unheard of, right? So we, we, we end up getting the house. So we stay in it three and a half years, right? Now, I want to I get the movie going. And I, 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 I want to tell you about the movie I want to do here. And I, I hope I'm uh, taking too much time. I just want you to know how important and what God does in our lives. I wanted, I want to make it the best movie possible. Excellence. I want it to be a Hollywood production, but with the glorification of God. That's what I want, and I want you to know, and you be my witness, that it will be nothing less than that when it comes out. Because God deserves that. So they say, well, that's going to cost a lot of money, because the music on it. Well, God's worth it. Amen. He is worth it. So, in finishing up, you know, the housing market's gone up. Somebody asked, somebody offered us a ridiculous amount of money for the house. And we sold it. So now that we have, we, we just hired a, a Hollywood a lawyer who's a Christian, and we're about to get started on this journey of making a movie. Now, you got to understand something. Kerry Solomon offered to buy my screen play. But Kerry Solomon won't be able to do it the justice that it needs to be. Good, he's a good writer, but you know, he's, they're, they're used to small budgets. The budget I'm looking at is over $20 million. I want Kevin James to play me, Dolly Parton to play Linda, John Voigt to play Charles. Now, Charles is, and he's make-believe, but Charles represents my church because most people in my church didn't believe me, okay? 
So Charles is what they call the protagonist. And then, you ready who I want to direct it? Mel Gibson. So I'm, that's my plan. So I am gonna, if you would pray for me, because I'm gonna tell you, by the grace of God, I'm gonna change the way Christian movies are being made. They're gonna be made first class because God deserves that. And unfortunately, as I learned the movie business, it's all about making money. And let me just tell you about a guy that had been successful. The reason I was successful is because I put the customer first and I made sure that I did the very best that I can do. And if you do that, the money will follow. Not that I even need the money because I want to glorify God and I'm putting that first. And if God wants to bless me, then so be it. But that's important and as Christians, I don't believe these guys. They're, they're, you know, they think, oh, we can do it for two million, we'll put a million in our pocket, and we can do it less. And it shows. It shows. If, if, if the, I don't know I should say this, but I'm gonna say it. If these devil worship people in Hollywood can make a great film, then surely, surely, us Christians can, can't we? I'm telling you, I want you to remember this day because that movie is coming, and it's going to change lives. I'm not going after preaching the choir. I'm going after the lukewarm and the non-believers. We already got the choir. We don't need the choir. Our job, our job, and I truly believe this, every person in this room, God has a plan for you. One of the things I believe he created man was to decide, do you want to be with me? or not. And God wants us to bring people to his kingdom. There's so many lost people out there that are blinded. And that's where forgiveness comes in. And I'm going to end with forgiveness because it's hard to forgive. I know I, I, I once, I was thought, oh, I forgave that guy. Oh yeah. And then somebody would say something nice about him and it bothered me. So I know, hey, you know what? You have to pray. You gotta ask God for the grace. You gotta pray for that person. Now I've got some, I've got some enemies, but you know what? I love them now. That doesn't mean that I have to hang out with them. I don't have to hang out with them, but I truly love them. And I care about them and I want them to go to heaven. That's when you know you've forgiven somebody. And I wanna tell you that forgiveness is very important and I see a lot of Christians that don't do that. And we as Christians need to forgive. It's, if Jesus, right before he died, what does he say? Father, for they know not what they're doing, forgive them. I mean, the horrific, the thorning, the whipping, the mocking, the spitting. Can you imagine being crucified on a cross with nails? And what does he say? Forgive them. Because our God is that great. And when we glorify God, when we glorify God, right? You would think, well, he's getting all the glory. No. We get hope from that. We benefit. When we glorify God, this movie and the book is glorifying God. It's going to help people to see the truth. I just want to thank each and every one of you here today for having us. I want to tell you that it was an honor to be here and that um, whatever God calls you to do in this room, you guys know who you are. You go for it. Thank you. You've been listening to Sunday Sermons from Southside Christian Fellowship Church. 
place where you are loved, accepted, and received. A place of healing. A place of prayer. A place of hope. We invite you to join us this Sunday and every Sunday. For service times, location, and other information about the church, please visit our website at southsidechristianfellowship.net. Again, that's southsidechristianfellowship.net. As we wrap up today's message, we would like to once again thank you for listening. We would like to also have Papa Herman, an elder at Southside, to speak a Father's blessing over you. May the Lord bless and keep you, that He would cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you, that the Lord would lift up the light of His countenance upon you and give you His peace. And remember that the Lord's favor is with you all the time. Expect it. It is with you. It's manifesting itself to you. It will overtake you no matter where you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.